Hello, my name is Xavier Mercado, and this is Spearhead Conversations. Today, I am joined by special guest, Callie Chiroff. Hello. Hello. <laughs> she is the founder of Project Bubaloo, an organization that um, advocates for congenital heart disease. Right. I've heard Callie's story through former guests that have been on. Um, and the more I've learned about the organization, um, it's become a tr- truly inspiring thing to to come upon. So, um, well, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I'm re- very excited about the setup here and the <laughs> booms. It feels very official. So this oh. is very exciting for me. <laughs> but uh, you know, in this in this in this life, you know, when you're with your organization, even my platform. Um, Advocates are a big thing, and I want to be an advocate to what you are doing, and what better way that to get the message out? So I'm, you know, I reached out. I met you at the what was it? The finale of uh, the, the premiere of what's the name of it? Show me Milwaukee. Show me. <laughs> Show me Milwaukee. That's right. But um, I met you there, and uh, when I found out it was you who was the uh, ran Project Bubaloo, yeah, I asked if you'd come on, and you said yes. Yeah, so. I kind of stalked you down and said, "Hey, can can I tell you about what we're doing?" Yeah, <laughs> so you were nice enough to invite me here. So thank so, you. So I, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, with that, let's do it. Yeah. All right. So where were you born? I was born here. Um, I I never want to do. Whenever I'm describing where I live, I always say the South Side, but that that's an insult to true South Siders in Milwaukee because I actually grew up in Franklin. So um, oh, there you go. Right? Okay. So I just don't want to insult anyone, but on the South Side of the county um, in mm-hmm. Franklin. So I grew up there from kindergarten and graduated from Franklin High School in 2004. 2004? Yeah, yeah, which is kind of sad because the students that I have now are like, oh, I was born in 2003. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So uh, we're having our 20-year this year, yeah. actually. So, yeah, I grew up in Franklin and then um, have uh, my, my family still lives in the area. Got so. you. Mm-hmm. I'm 07, South Milwaukee. Oh, are you a rocket? Well, yeah, we a rocket. <laughs> you were in our <laughs> conference. Yeah, we were. And now, <laughs> now it's they're in... They're in some other conference with Cudahy and oh, Arrowhead and all those, St. Francis. But, um, I mean, Franklin, that's still a powerhouse. Oak Creek, Tremper, all yeah. those big schools, Muskego. Back in the day, we don't – we. I think the football team really exploded after I left, which was disappointing because I was actually – Voted most school spirited as yeah. my senior superlative. I mean, I was Get hardcore. I mean, it's surprising that I didn't come back from college to be a, that would have been <laughs> lame. But I, I just loved um, all things Franklin yeah. when I was there. Yeah, I really did. It was. It's a great town. Yeah. So, how was your childhood? <sighs> That's a really loaded question. Um, in, I think from the outside, you could say that it was fairly normal and happy. Um, I did have loss early on in life. So we moved to Franklin like before I went into kindergarten and my dad, my dad worked at Miller Brewing. So true Milwaukee family. And when I was seven, he, um, was diagnosed with throat cancer. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. And 
Thank you. And I, um, so third grade, fourth grade were hard because my dad was dying and I, he was a Vietnam vet. So they told us that it was type of cancer that was related to his service, like agent orange poisoning. Yeah. And so I had this really jolly, happy, you know, um, beer bellied guy as my dad. And when he, he withered away, um, I think he was like 90 pounds when he died. I mean, it was just sad. And, um, just the, he was like the joy in our family and not Mm -hmm. saying that my, um, but my mom's a little bit more reserved and quiet and he was just the loud mouth, always had a joke, tons of friends. And, um, it was really hard. He passed away in 96. And so fifth grade was, yeah. And, and from then on, you know, I had to figure out a life without a dad and living in a single parent home. And I look back now as an adult and go, I don't know how my mom did it. I really mm. don't. I mean, because yeah. we stayed in our house. She afforded, you know, I never went without. She, I, I yeah. credit cards. I don't know. I, I always look over like, mom, how'd you pay for all this? But she was a really, really good role model in that. You know, she's a powerful female. She was very educated. She had a good job. And even though she was in the lowest point of her life, she took care of her kids and we never went without. So when she thinks back on our childhood, she thinks, you know, oh God, all these horrible things happen. Yeah. But I look back actually with a lot of happiness. Um, obviously besides the fact that my dad died. And then um a year after my dad was married before he met my mom, and I had a half brother, Derek, and he had a really Hard time just in general, um, his whole life. But after my dad died, I think he really just couldn't find his way and um, ended up committing suicide that next year. Oh my God. So I had, so from the outside, you could look at me and go, oh, you know, she, you know girl from Franklin. No, yeah. I, I mean, I, I had dealt with a lot of, a lot of stuff. And I actually, I was really mad at my brother um, for leaving us yeah. by choice um, in a way. Um, and then there's a lot of shoulda, woulda, couldas when someone commits suicide. Is like, what if I was older? Would would he have, you know, talked to me about these? I was just so much yeah. younger than he was. And um, I just feel really bad for the life that he had. And I understand it more that now that I'm an adult and I can think about things a little bit more, more deeply than I could when I was 10. Um, but there's a while. I bet you I have friends now that still don't know that I yeah. actually had a brother. Because I just never talked about him. Well, you know, cancer... Um Cancer is, I, I watched my uh, father-in-law last year, yeah, dwindle away. Yeah. Um, a fully weighted man down to about 80, 60 pounds. Yeah. Like, uh, it was it was hard to watch. Right now, um, the mother of my twins is is battling. And, uh, oh, wow. you know, it's, it's been tough because my kids are at that age, the same age that you were at. Yeah. Um, and of course you never want to think about, you never want to think the worst, but it's, it's, it's just hard all around. I can't imagine what your, your brother was feeling at that time. And, and I don't blame him now. Yeah. I think I did then, but I just, that um, comes with the maturity of, absolutely. you know, yeah. Uh, and he just, I don't think he ever, I think he felt lost, um, just dealing with a divorced family. My dad found a new wife, had these two, yeah. two other kids. And I just don't, I don't know that he ever found his place in that. Not sure. a, because we our family tried to make him feel. I just think he was 
he struggled. And now I look back and go, well, I just can't imagine his, his life was hard. And so I just, I don't blame him anymore. Um, and I feel sad that he, he, that's what he resorted to, to deal yeah. with his sadness. Well, you know, all you could do is just honor him in the time that you had with him and, uh, you know, and remember him. Yeah. And I feel his presence actually sometimes more. And this is, and this will get down to my story about my son, but there have been times, and this is going to sound, I don't know, maybe it will make sense to some, um, but I was actually thankful that I had them as my Mm -hmm. angels because after everything that happened with my son, I just thought, I got someone on my side, though. Comfort. Like on the other yeah. side. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So It's a, it's a, a type of closure, comfort. It's, it's knowing yeah. that these main pieces are over there. They're and, still there. And they're still there. They're still there. And I... Yeah. I don't know what that means, but I just I just have always felt like yeah. very protected and watched over. Um, I'd rather have them here. There's been a lot of, you know, when you get married, when you have like milestone sort of mm-hmm. things, there's always something missing. Um, yeah. But I do think that those losses shaped, shaped mm-hmm. matured. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just I probably saw things a lot differently than my, you know, peers um in a lot of ways yeah i i i will say uh you know same with me i dealt with a lot of loss um coming up but through that it it definitely shaped me into a person of being understanding that it is a part of life and all we can do is just cherish what we we had and and going forth and being as strong as we can yeah um so you know that that's a that's a major part of your life um Coming outside of that, yeah. what were the type of things that took your mind off of that, hobbies or uh, to get you away from? Yeah, oh, yeah. And I think you make choice. I always tell my students, especially, life's a game of choices, right? And I, I definitely made a choice to try to honor yeah. and make, like, my dad proud. And so I tried to make choices that were good. And I know mm-hmm. it can be easy to go down another path. Um but I tried really hard as I got in older. I definitely was <laughs> never athletic. Um, that was <laughs> never a thing. I still am embarrassed to try doing athletic things. But either way, like I said, I did this. I was school spirited, so I, yeah. you know, was class president and and did activities in school. I was very. It's what I focused on, and actually, that's probably one of my bigger regrets as I'm older now yeah. is not putting that effort into academia. In high school, because yeah. I feel like I, I don't want to change where I'm at now, but I, I didn't reach my academic mm-hmm. and intellectual potential until way later in life. Um, when yeah. I got to school, I'm like, oh, I can I actually know things or if I study, I can, you know, I, I cared a lot more about my friends and and being active in my social circles Um I wish I would have done a little bit of less, like less yeah, of yeah. that, but I still have a lot of friends now from high school. So, I mean, it's, it's played out. It's I find out, myself but. in those, uh, you know, one big, big thing with me thinking about high school, uh, um, acting. Oh, sure. I really wish I would have went into that. I wish I would have just got past the caring what others thought. and You can still do that. Oh, no. I, I Believe me, I'm tap- now I, I'm in this stage of my life where I'm tapping into the things that I – necessarily missed out on uh through the connections i'm making but uh it definitely that if that's one of the things just like you saying academia like that is what i wish i would have tapped into um so 
with high school. Yeah. Um, you graduated in 04. Yeah, 04. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, four. <laughs> what was your, uh, did you guys have a theme in your, the way you threw up hand signs? Or uh, <laughs> <laughs> was it fall fall for the fall fall? I don't know if I was cool enough to pull that off. Um, from, I'm sure there, I, there's a lot of, I would say, we were probably a more prideful class. And, mm-hmm. and that just goes to like our 20 year coming up. I think people are really excited about it. And I know people outside of our class that haven't done much to get mm-hmm. together. I will say that there's a lot of people that stayed in Franklin, yeah. <laughs> married people from Franklin. I am guilty of that, as I'm sure we'll find out later in my interview. Um, sure. So, but again, this area is such a great place to live. I, mm. I don't blame people for not wanting to leave. Um, yeah. So you'll see a lot of people just still being active in, in the community, people you know. And um, so I would say that I was active in, in that way for sure. Awesome. So moving on from high school. Yeah. Um, oh, before you graduated, mm-hmm. what career path did you decide to take? Um, well, this is still holds true. I remember when I first got to college, I loved true crime stuff. I'm still one of the true crime junkies. Um, and I thought I'm going to be like a forensic scientist and <laughs> do this. I actually really loved chemistry in college. I went to UW Oshkosh. And again, this goes into, <clears throat> I just kind of applied to schools. I didn't really think about why or how. I don't think I put much thought into my my future like that I that sounds bad but I really went into college going like okay and I I went somewhere though that I didn't have anyone from high school I didn't go with a group of friends and it took me and was very hard for me that first year because I was so used to knowing everyone and having people to go to and this is where it's like I got to figure out how to meet new people, which yep. I've never really had to do. And um, now it'd be easy for me to go into a room and say, oh, you know, meet people. But it wasn't like that in college. So I think um, that was a challenge for me when I got to school. And then um, the nursing program up at Oshkosh was very challenging to get into. You had to apply. You didn't automatically get in. And so I was already taking some of those classes. And I knew I wanted to get into something scientific, something medical, and then nursing just kind of um, at the time had made made sense. And so I thought, well, I'm going to try to get in and see if it works out. I got a job as a nursing assistant to kind of work part-time through that. And um, yeah, I got in on the first try, but I I had to work hard. It was the first time I had to work hard to like achieve something. And when I did it, it felt really good. And I think that that's where that spark probably yeah. came from, that I worked hard and it paid off. Hey, well, you I know, mean, I, 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 when you set out a goal and you know as challenging as it, it becomes just to get to that, that finish line is like, right? I've been doing it more than ever. I've, I've been goal oriented in these past two years and, you know, it's like the high, the rush of when you get to what you've been working at, right. you know. But it's always setting another goal before the other one ends. Right. Um, and I, I knew that I wanted to do advanced practice. I like the yeah. idea of um, – I actually – if I had another regret, it would have been not challenging myself to apply to medical school and taking the classes I needed to. And there's been a few times in my life where I've um, – thought about going back to take, you know, to take physics and, and mm-hmm. things that I hadn't initially gone, you know, taken those classes. Um, and I just always had talked myself out of it. I think there is that kind of fear of failure. And then after I got older, I'm like, well, 
I don't want to mm. go to medical school and be there for <laughs> like so long. I'm going to be 30 when I'm done, you know, and now I'm almost 40. And it's yeah. like, oh, God, <laughs> just an idiot yeah. move. But either way, I knew that I liked the idea of seeing patients, um, almost being like a Sherlock Holmes, figuring out what's wrong with them. So doing more than being at the bedside, I knew was the way that I wanted to go. Um, I had a great time in school. Um, I did well, but again, probably could have, I I could have sacrificed some more social time to do better, but I don't really think it made a difference. I passed my boards. I did well. I was a good bedside nurse. So in that situation, I felt like I had a really good balance, and I feel like I learned my balance of school. I had people that were like, oh, I haven't stopped studying in five days. What? And I still tell students here, I'm like, go home. Have fun with your friends tonight. I know we have an exam on Monday, but on Friday night, like go out and do something fun. I mean, it's just you have to have – a balance. Yeah. And so I learned mental that. space, man. Hundred percent. People don't. You see, I I have people that are close to me in my life where I, when I see them get flustered like that, it's just like take a break, exactly. man. Breathe. In in the in the grand scheme of it, it doesn't matter. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like I, you're, it doesn't matter. Like I know you think that you're big in this world, but it doesn't. It doesn't matter. matter. <laughs> there are some people that it probably does matter if they lose their like yeah. energy. But I'm not gonna be. I'm 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 well aware that I am not one of those people in this world, and I'm okay with that. And yeah. it's okay to just take a break. I, so I think I started learning that when I saw people really struggling through, you know, school and just really putting too much emphasis on academia. Where yeah. I'm like, I don't want to be like that. But I I know that I wanted to work hard and be good at what yeah. I was doing. Um, but I didn't want to be o- an overachiever. If that, <laughs> that might sound bad, but an overachieving, my mom always said um, A's because she was like that in school. And, and she still talks about a C that she got for a five credit class that she took. And it like d- she's in her 60s and she still talks <laughs> about this class. I'm like, we well, got to get over it. And let it go. I said, like, but but <laughs> her life revolved around school and yeah. that really affected her. And mm-hmm. I just didn't. And she always said. A's will get you nothing but headaches and stress. So just if you can get an A because it's coming easy and but like doesn't mean you should slack, but not sacrifice your mental health for that. It's not worth it. So So how many years altogether did you have as far as schooling goes? Well, for my undergrad was uh, four. I think it took me four and a half because I had Mm -hmm. that one semester. I thought I was going to be a forensic scientist. (laughs) 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 And then I switched. So I think it took me four and a half. And then... um, and then I worked for about a year as a bedside nurse. I did yeah. ICU step down and cardiac, um, which I really liked. And then I applied for grad school down here at Marquette. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I went back to grad school pretty quickly, but I went part time. So I mm-hmm. still worked as a bedside nurse while I was in school. And that took me um, three ish years. I graduated in 2012 with my master's. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Look at and then. You. <laughs> hey, hold up. Oh, oh my it. gosh, you have sound effects on oh, here? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to need more of that. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, and then so I started working. Um, my first job here was up on the north side on um, 55th and Capitol. Okay. Um, so I worked at a primary care clinic up there. I loved it. I loved um, the patient population up that way. I, I just loved the clinic setting. And so I started, you know, kind of getting people that wanted to come see me and getting to know my patients. But along that, 
um, through that path. I also really liked teaching. So when I, I still kept coming back to Marquette to teach students, teaching's been a part of, when you're a nurse, you're a teacher. Yeah. You're teaching patients about their diseases, how to manage them. And so for me, that was a huge part of, I liked it. And I liked teaching new nurses when they came to the hospital or where I was working. I liked taking students. So teaching always started to become something that I was yeah. had an affinity for. So I kept teaching part-time and then I decided I was going to go back um, to get my doctorate. So I did that um, while I was working as a nurse practitioner. There's a period of time where I was working full-time at the clinic. I was taking two doctoral classes and teaching two classes. There was probably two years I did that. Wow. Because Marquette's really great. If you work here, they give you um, credits. So I actually worked my way through my doctorate and didn't have to take out any student loans. Oh my! I tried to do it. Oh, sound effects! Oh, ah, uh, there you go. So you're a doctor. I am. Oh my God! I should have just uh, announced you as Doctor Kelly. That's quite all right. <laughs> I think people. It's hard because people associate the word doctor. Um, anybody that's achieved a doctorate should. Mm-hmm technically be called doctor but for me it's more in an academic setting so I don't go by that and especially in the medical field um when I go and see patients I don't I don't address myself as that because while I do have a doctorate um the lay person thinks of a doctor as an, a medical doctor mm. and so I want to respect that because I didn't go to medical school I am still a nurse and so yeah. I'm a doctor nurse um okay. but here at school the students call me Dr. C. Awesome well you know through this, all this schooling, all these accomplishments, mm. this landed you into your profession you have right now, which is yeah. I uh, well, I just got a uh, ac- well. Academic promotions are different than like when you work hard at your job and someone promotes you. You actually yeah. have to like be here for a period of time, etc. So I just was promoted to an associate clinical professor. I was an assistant for about seven years, and okay. then you kind of have to work your way up to the next level. So I'm an associate clinical professor in the College of Nursing at Marquette. So I change where I'm now working full-time teaching part-time yeah. clinical work. That which I, that's how I prefer it cuz I don't get burned out in either. Mm. I'm still doing two things that I really like. I technically have two jobs, but um there's a lot of us here that that do that. How has this experience be been for you? Now that you're, you know, you used to be a student and now you're, you're on the other end. Right. I love this. All your children. I'm not just saying that because we're (laughs) sitting here, but I really, truly love my job here. And um, it's a way for me to make a difference in many people's lives and not everyone. Mm -hmm. I don't want to pretend like every student loves me but I um I did have a rate my professor.com comment that um I'll always take with me is that (laughs) if that said if Dr. C needed a kidney I'd give her my left one oh there you go that's a big compliment right so I've had some students that I've really you know and I've helped them um and mentored them and just been a part of their lives and so I feel like I'm a part of um people's journey and that is so much more to me than that it's 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 that's for me as an accomplishment and feeling like I've taught them 
um, something. I've tried to challenge myself in the classes that I teach. So I do teach uh, probably our most challenging course in our undergrad program here, yeah. pathophysiology. Um, so it's a class that a lot of students dread, but I love it when I get a student that says, I learn so much. Um, or they come back and tell me that they learned about something and they related it back to something that I taught them or a story that I told them. Yeah. Like That is what makes me feel accomplished. That's awesome. Yeah. So I really do like it here. And uh, my colleagues and um, I've kind of, you know, grown into my place here. It takes mm -hmm. a while when everyone here, um, usually in the academic setting, people are a little bit more older. I started out pretty young. I'm probably still one of the younger full-time faculty yeah. here. Um, I have been for a while. And that's pretty typical. Um, it's also active and you probably see a lot of people come and go. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of part-time people, but the full-time people, when you've committed to that, um, a lot of people commit to research and doing that. I mean, it's yeah. you don't usually leave. So it's actually pretty competitive to get a job full-time because they don't come up very often. You have to yeah. like snatch one up when you can. So I was really lucky when I got hired because I... You, you don't want to leave this position because I might it, an opportunity to get another one might not come back up. For sure. So yeah. it's a great place to be. It seems like you have your, I mean, you gave me the tour around the, the um, simulation the lab. The simulation lab. And I'm just looking at, I mean, I'm in awe. <laughs> I mean, the, the mannequins. Yeah, we have, very we have mannequins that give birth. Yeah, they're very expensive. You don't want to drop them on the floor. Um, uh, we have mannequins that give birth. I showed you the. we have an OR where yeah. our nurse anesthetist students learn how to intubate people and take care of people in an operating room. And we have a lot of programs um, that they're and they're all really great. Um, yeah. So I teach in both the undergraduate and the graduate program. Gotcha. Well, you know, you're you're successful. You're making it. I appreciate that. Um but uh, let's get into the the meat. The, the I feel meat. like we've gone through. So <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about Project Bubaloo. Yeah, and uh, you know what is Project Bubaloo? When was it founded? And what? Yeah, how we got here. How we got here. I think. Um, well, first. I think it's important to start at the beginning, kind of like with me talking about. It, it's almost like this before. Theo and after Theo. Okay. Like it's for me in my life, it's it's this life that started after my son was born yeah. and this life before. So I feel like I just gave you the life before. Um, yeah. I had been married to my now ex-husband um, and we had fertility issues. We weren't getting pregnant easily. And so I won't go into that, but we once we got pregnant, it was kind of like this miracle you know when you get that gut feeling that yeah. something's wrong? You're like, that was too easy. We we did one round of fertility treatments, and I got pregnant, and it's yeah. like, there's no way. It just worked out after two years of not being able to get pregnant. So I went into that pregnancy pretty hesitant, and at the 20-week 20 20 ultrasound, you have children. You yes. probably were better at those ultrasounds. Um, yep. That's the one where they count all the fingers and toes and kind of do all the measurements mm -hmm. and then just make sure that everything's looking normal. And as I'm laying there, the ultrasound tech kept telling me, like, well, there's fluid around his kidney, and he has a single um, artery umbilical cord, and, you know, just is listing. Listing more and more. I think he might have a hole in his heart. Um, you know, so there's a few things. And at the time, I'm going, okay, well, hopefully they're all, like, minor. I don't know. Yeah. But then when we got back to the room, the doctor said, I mean, there's things that are going on. I'm worried about something genetic. 
because there's just multiple things. It's not Mm -hmm. just one. Um, So I need you to go see a specialist. So we did. And that time waiting to go see them was very stressful. Um, Lots of tears. And so when we saw the specialists, we ended up getting what's called a fetal echocardiogram, um, which is essentially an ultrasound of the the baby's heart while you're pregnant, which is wild that there's people that can do those things. Um, And then they confirmed that he actually had a critical cardiac defect. So congenital heart disease, congenital is kind of a scary word. Um, All it means is born with. So like you're born with this. So it sounds like a fancy word, but it's not. It's just you're born with a heart defect, right? I definitely thought it was a fancy Fancy word. word. It's not, right? It's just (laughs) it means born with. So congenital heart disease means they're born with a heart defect or some sort of disease of the Mm -hmm. heart. And that can be a variety of things. It's a very umbrella term. And so it's about one in 100 kids. So it's not rare. It's the most common birth defect. Oh, my gosh. So that's about in the United States, about 40,000 kids a year are born uh, with CHD. Mm -hmm. And then about 25 percent of those, so about 10,000 kids, need open heart surgery within the first year of life. Which is, I, so I'm learning about this and he had a critical cardiac defect. He had the 20, he was in the, in the 25%, um, without knowing or describing too much about blood flow through the heart, there were blood vessels that were attached in the wrong place. Um, he also had holes in his heart. There were multiple defects. Um, and so I am sitting there. We just talked about how I went to school for so long into that. I had no idea what they were talking about. No, I'm sitting there going, what? I, this is a thing. I didn't, I had no clue. So I was in the same spot that I would have been if I had no medical, at least that's how I felt. I was very helpless. Now learning, I felt like I probably caught on a little bit because I had experience Mm -hmm. in anatomy and (laughs) physiology and those things and could figure out blood flow. Um, But I had no idea that kids needed surgery like that. And um, I thought he was going to die. I, but after we our care got transferred to the Herma Heart Institute at Children's Wisconsin and we met with the team and the surgeon just said, yeah, we see, you know, so many of these a year. He had definitely one of the more rare defects. Yeah. Um, but he reassured me, the surgeon reassured me that, yeah, we we do this. And it just kind of and kids do. OK, um, so I went in with like a lot of hope. Um, and I was prepared. I was prepared for the surgery. It was still really hard. Um, we also, through this process, found out that he had a chromosomal abnormality. So um, just in case you didn't know, there's you have 23 pairs yeah. of chromosomes. So there's 46 total. And on his second chromosome, he had a deletion and a duplication. So part of it was missing. And then there was part that was doubled. Doubled, yeah. Um, this had never been documented before. So oh, wow. they could not, of course, we're, we're in a rare moment here. Like everyone's like, this is really rare. I'm like, that doesn't mean anything to me anymore because mm-hmm. everything that's happening right now is rare, yeah. right? Um, so we found out about this genetic mutation, but we didn't know what it meant. I'm like, well, I'm just going to hope that it means that he's good at math. I don't know. I don't, I'm just going to like hope that it's not something yeah. that is going to be really bad. Probably um, was a struggle for an approach on something that his... I just I I don't think we knew what to expect. It was it was mm-hmm. a question mark. Yeah. It wasn't because we knew that he had this, but we didn't know what that what that meant. So that did raise a it was a mystery. Yeah. Um. And then it got really hard when I was thirty two weeks pregnant and my water broke, and um, 
now 32 weeks for most kids, if they didn't have all these things, they'd probably do okay. Maybe do a couple weeks in the NICU, would be yeah. all right. Um, but I knew it was like the movies, like where it happened in the middle of the night and I, you know, I was like, oh my God, I just, what, what was that? And, um, I just knew that he was in trouble because he needed surgery yeah. and he was estimated to be three pounds and he was, um, they tried to keep me pregnant as long as I could. They gave me medication and I was on bed rest and it only lasted a couple of days before he started having distress and, I delivered my son on September 27th, 2017. Um, we named him Theo. And um, my whole world changed. And I just remember being in the OR with him. Oh, I had to deliver in front of 40 people, by the way. Oh, wow. Um, just like, it was not like your typical, yay, birth. It was crisis. Class, yeah. Like the second I had to start pushing, the OR team was ready. The NICU team was ready. The cardiac oh, I thought team you, was ready. I thought you meant like a classroom, like doctors. <laughs> I got to the sim lab. You know, the we made lab. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Oh, man. No, no, no. Let me know. It yeah, was a learning experience, I'm sure, for for yeah. some of the doctors in the room. But um, <laughs> no, it was a... A uh, uh, crisis yeah. emergency moment, mm -hmm. and so it wasn't safe for me to deliver in like a normal room. I had to deliver an OR in case they had to like basically put me out and do yeah. C-section because if he was in distress, which he was at high risk of being, um, thankfully I was able to deliver him normally or vaginally, and um, he came out blue though. I mean, he was blue, and I remember them holding him up, and he was kind of crying, but he was purple, and mm -hmm. they're like, "Oh, mom," and they're kind of showing me. I was like. Um, he needs to be intubated. Like, this is not a bonding moment. Yeah. It was horrible. And yeah. so they finally got him. I mean, they had to intubate him right away. And thankfully, they didn't think that he needed surgery, like, at that moment. Um, mm -hmm. But the most surreal moment of my whole life was after he was delivered and um, everyone had gone with him, like, this big crew of people. Um and I was fixed up, and then they took me back to the room, and of course I delivered right at shift change for the nurses. And my nurse said, I have to go give report to like the next nurse, I'm gonna be right back. And so within 20 minutes, I went from a room full of people to being back in my room alo yeah. alone for, oh. like, for like 30 minutes. Oh. I was just sitting there. I just delivered a baby, I now have a son, I don't know if he's alive, and I'm, like, I'm just sitting here. It was it was just the most surreal moment, and yeah. it, I just remember being so scared, and uh, I couldn't get up. Um, <laughs> so I was yeah. just sitting there. I didn't have my phone. I like it was just it was so weird. Um, and then he had surgery that next morning. So um, and they gave us a fifty yeah. percent shot that he would make it through the surgery because he was so little. It was like he was like this like little baby doll. He didn't even look real. Um, and I just remember that night. I looked at his ear, on his right ear was deformed. He had um, what they call a microtia. So he didn't have an ear canal and he just had this tissue on the right side of his head. And it was the moment, I was prepared for the heart surgery, right? I was like, I knew that was coming. And it was at that moment that I lost it. Cause I go, I, cause you can see it, right? Yeah. You, automatically, he's different. Yeah, He's gonna get made fun of. He could, he could be deaf. You know, I was just, mm -hmm. I, I remember calling my sister in the middle of the night because um, our family had gone home to get some sleep because everyone was coming back and I called her hysterical and she thought he died. And I said, no, oh my God, he doesn't have an ear. He doesn't have an ear. And she, and she's like, it, you know, priorities here. But at the time for me, that was my realization yeah. that this was a long road 
And this was not a road that was going to end with just the surgery. Mm. And he was going to struggle. And so um, it was scary, really scary. And um, I can only imagine. Yeah. I just um, very vivid memories of certain things. Right. Yeah. Um, after he did make it through surgery and uh, <clears throat> we just sat there. I didn't hold my son for nine weeks. I mean, he had, when he came out of surgery, his chest was open. So, um, you know, if, if you want to see, um, I'm pretty open with like pictures and things, but it's yeah. literally like saran wrap over a beating heart. Oh, like, yeah, you can see yeah, his heart I know, beating. exactly. And it's yeah. just, it's like, it, it's horrible to yeah. look at. And I don't know that you can prepare any parent for that. Um, and he was like that for at least a week from what I remember. And um, just every day it was just, he was so sick. And then he started getting a little better, you know, a little bit better, but then he would get worse. And it was just this, and they kept telling me it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, but we just kept having complication after complication. It's a roller coaster up and yeah. down. Yeah. Um, the I remember the number one thing that would stress me out is when people would ask me how much he weighed. Because, like, oh, my gosh, how much does he weigh now? I'm like, I don't know. Like, seven pounds in fluid. Like, because he would just hang on to so much fluid. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately why um, he passed away was because he just could not um, manage his blood pressures and his fluid. And um, we were there, though, for six months. I mean, he had multiple procedures every day. I went there every day in the morning. Sometimes I slept there, but um, we lived in New Berlin at the time. And so we would get there every morning for rounds. And I was there all day. And, you know, kind of around dinner time or maybe a little later, we'd go home. I'd call at three in the morning. Yeah. And I, I still remember the, like, the music. Dun, 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 when I would, like, call. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I can, you know, if I ever have to call children's and I hear that, or it's kind of like the waiting music for some businesses. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Talk about PTSD. Oh, it sets off. If, I that, can... if that nurse didn't answer that phone, like, pretty quickly, mm -hmm. I was going, what's wrong? What's wrong? And so I lived on, like, fight or flight for yeah. months and months and months. So six months is how long, or how long would it, did Theo live. Uh, live for? So six months. Six so months. He, so um, it was in February that a doctor had looked at me and said, Kelly, you need to know you're going to outlive Theo. Like, you need to know that. Like, we need yeah. you to, like, I need you to know that. And so it wasn't until that point where I just really had to uh, wrap my head around that. He was so, like, you know, and now that I'm six years out, I just, he had such a hard life. <laughs> just, I know he fought, but it just, it was so unfair um, mm -hmm. what he had to go through. And, um, yeah, I think it got to a point where, in the February before he died, we had to put him on ECMO. And ECMO is uh, essentially a machine that takes blood out of you, puts oxygen in your blood, and then puts it back in your body. It yeah. is like the ultimate last resort. If someone is on ECMO, they are in death store. And um, it doesn't come without uh, its complications. People can have, and what I've seen is children having devastating strokes yeah. um, because you have to thin the blood so much. Um, so there's a lot that comes with that. It's not a fix, um, and people die in ECMO all the time. And I just kept telling, and we had a care conference, and I said to his team, if this happens again and we need to crack this kid's chest open again or put him on ECMO again, I can't do it. No. I just can't. I think my nurse brain, like, kicked in, 
because I never wanted to be that parent where like, what are we doing in 302 over there? Like, like you're torturing like this child yeah. um, for, for what? Right. So, because I can't accept it's the humane. It's I, I feel, and I can't fathom what you or the father went through. But that's probably the hardest decision you ever had to make. Yes. But someone looking outside in, how much are we going to put him through mm-hmm. for him to live? Is it humane? Right. And that's what it comes down to. It, at that point, it, it yeah. wouldn't have been. And yeah. we were, I was like, his quality of life is horrible. Mm-hmm. What are we doing? And, um, and I knew the team would have done whatever I wanted to. So I knew it was on our, it was our decision. If we would have said, kept going, keep going, keep going. We, we were, we we're walking that line and yeah. I just didn't, you know, and it was a few weeks later, he started swelling up again. And I, I just remember this is it. And I kind of had a panic moment and um, yeah, he died a couple of weeks later and it was just kind of this slow thing. And then finally I was like, nope, this is, we're not doing more extreme measures beyond like trying to help him, but if he can't figure it out. Um, yeah. And so it was a Saturday and um, his team, the doctors um, and nurses that took care of him came in when they weren't working to say goodbye because that's like your family. Mm-hmm. You're like, you. we didn't have like tons of it. You know, like people met him, but they didn't know him. These are yeah. people that I talk to every day. They saw me at like the worst moments of my life. So you get to know these people like yeah. beyond. So it, the relationship's so horrible, but like beautiful. And so these people came and showed their support. And I remember um, his cardiologist, Stephanie Handler, who, um, She's incredible. If I I um, am married to a man, but if I could pick a female, <laughs> she would be. She's incredible, and just um, she's the reason why I sleep at night, though. And I've told her that because she told me like you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Because a lot of people won't answer that question for you because they don't want to feel responsible for their answer, yeah. right? And she just said, "No, you you are doing the right thing. This is you are not pulling the plug or making this like he is dying." Um. So we did, and I just. I don't know. There's this big hole that I just I had. To, I have to stand next to it. I was kind of. It's like my analogy. Like I have this hole right here, and I just I look into it sometimes. I used to look into it a lot, yeah. um, but I just walk with it. And I carry it with me, and yeah. um, I've just learned how to look at it and let it make me stronger and be a reason to live a happier life. I cared about all those things we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, degrees and the I used to care about those applause you gave me that yeah. way like and it, you know we can joke but like that doesn't it doesn't matter it my doesn't kids matter. still my kids still dead yeah and this is horrible and so it didn't wouldn't matter if I had a ton of money none of it mattered and so I just um it kind of just shifted that perspective in like a very extreme way and I just knew that I had to do um uh look for my own happiness because he didn't get a life, right? He didn't get anything Mm -hmm. ever. Um, And so my ex-husband and I were in a bad spot before I even got pregnant. And um, there were a lot of things that happened through that whole year that I finally just said, I'm done. And um, I, I got a clean slate. And a lot of people don't get that in life. 
like yeah. to be able to feel like they're actually starting over. And that's exactly what I felt like I did in a lot of ways. And so from that moment on, I sought out uh, a true, f- truly fulfilling and joyful yeah. life along the way being very sad. Um, yeah. But it, I've learned to like sit in my grief, deal with those feelings and then like use it as a, to propel me um, into what we've been doing with Project Bubble. So that is my background. And that is why Project Bubaloo, how it came to be, was Bubaloo was Theo's nickname. So every video that I have, yeah, it's, well, we were talking before we started recording, Mm -hmm. like, you know, when you're a parent, you're just like, I don't know what your kids' nicknames are, but yeah, yeah, you're just like kind of embarrassed by it, like, I don't know, but I like the idea of using that because we thought it was cute and um, it just embodied like my love for him. And so... That's why we named it that. And then we started off, um, my sister, if there's anyone that loved Theo as much as me, it was my sister. And we just decided, hey, we're going to just start raising money. And yeah. people wanted to help. They couldn't help, right? Yeah. I had this kid that was in the hospital and no, no amount of care packages, food. It was all very, I was so thankful for it, but not, mm-hmm. nothing made him better. So I think yeah. people just wanted to help and they, they continue to help. And I felt very supported ever since um, by my Marquette family, by everyone. And I've gotten to meet so many people along along the way. Well, um, you know, this has grown over the years. Uh, What type of misconceptions? So CHD, congenital heart disease. Yeah. What are what are common uh, misconceptions that people would have Um, that you know what I mean? Because. At first you said, you know, you were in the dark about it, but as time goes on in Project Bubaloo, you're learning more about oh, this yeah. every day, more and more. Um, what are some misconceptions about this? It's the most this, common. Yeah. It's the most common killer. Yeah. Oh. I mean, the number one cause of infant mortality related to birth defects is because of heart disease. Oh, my gosh. Kids die of this all the time. Um, not that I would ever want to take away from a childhood cancer um, research or anything like mm-hmm. that. I would never want to feel like we're competing with that. But yeah. a lot of people can relate to the diagnosis of cancer because they know we just talked about people we love that have cancer. Mm-hmm. People don't understand this as much, and it's and they also don't see the kids' scars from their from their open heart surgeries. Yeah. And it's not as obvious of a disease. These kids need lifelong care. Um, there are some defects. The life expectancy is still low. Um, well, what's also really exciting is that there's not a lot of areas in medicine where we've made a lot of progress in the last 40 years. I, I would say after we try, right? Yeah. We're, we're tweaking things, but like life expectancy hasn't changed for a lot of disease states. We're still in the same very similar place with ALS. You know, some yeah. of these like really bad killers of people. Um I will say congenital heart disease is not one of those. I think that we have shifted the paradigm. There are doctors that worked when there are some defects, the life expectancy was nothing. Theo wouldn't have lived 30 years ago at all. So like we're at a place now where we have surgeries and advanced care and ICUs and specialty training that has now let us be in a place where we have kids that, um, I'm not sure if you remember Travis Shaw, the brewer, yeah. Um, so Travis and his wife, Lindy, were on the floor um, with their daughter, uh, Ryan, who was born with half of a heart. 
She oh. literally doesn't have the left side. Left side of her heart did not grow. Wow. People didn't know he had one of the best years of his career when his daughter was in the hospital. I took a picture with him in Walmart. Oh, really? <laughs> I saw this crowd forming, and then all of a sudden, I asked the person next to me, I'm like, who is Yeah. And the minute they said his name, it's like, I mean, you know baseball players. Oh, but sure. You never put that. I, yeah, I don't know <clears throat> that I would. But he's yeah. he's kind of a quiet guy. But he's they, a, he's they're, very and quiet, they're, and yeah. So I feel like I share their story more than, than they do. Um, and they're fine with it because they've been very supportive of what we've been doing. And I, but I got to know them yeah. through this. And like Lindy was in my, I got remarried. She was like a bridesmaid in my wedding. Like we became wow. family. Like yeah. we, it, because you're going through such a horrible thing. Their daughter, Ryan, has half of a heart still. and But they, kids, her with her heart defect, didn't definitely didn't live. And now... They're, kid, they're getting married. They're going to college with this defect. Mm. I mean, that is unbelievable yeah. progress in a short amount of time. So that's where we feel very strongly that like mm. we want to keep keep that momentum because yeah. I know that kids like Theo can live and not just live longer, but like have quality. And now we're seeing because these kids that they're living longer, mm -hmm. they have they have more um, things that come along the way, developmental issues, um, more needs when they're in school. So we're we're starting. We are, there's a lot of learning that's still happening when it comes to all this advancement, and we want to be a part of yeah the advancement that's taking place because it's very exciting. How long after um, Theo's passing was uh, Bubaloo founded? Well, we say that it was founded in 2018. I think we did our actual first event um, mm -hmm. with fundraising in 2019. We had a 5K at Miller Park. Well, at the time it was Miller Park. Um, and we raised almost, I think it was over 90 or close to 90. Um, that And so that kind of pumped us up going like, whoa, we well, yeah. raised $100,000 or like <laughs> one event, what? Um, so then we kept going. And then now we have our other signature event that we started um it our first one was right before covid um oh. we got by the skin of our teeth um with that one so hops for hearts is a you know this is a beer town so we wanted to do something that kind of brought together that and so i invited a bunch of breweries to come and we give people tasting glasses and they can go around and sample like local breweries. And so it's a win-win for the breweries because they can come and meet a bunch of people at a fundraiser, but they're, um, you know, able to promote their own businesses along the way. Yeah. And we have food and raffles. And so we did our first event at the domes and then we've, um, are now in our fourth year. Last year was our biggest year. Um, Perhaps we raise one hundred and eighteen thousand um, dollars for our. We have a set research fund now that we have people apply for the money, um, and we decide who, what research projects we want to fund and give to, That's and then and then holding those researchers accountable. I think that transparency in nonprofits is. I would never. I would just say to people, know who you're donating to. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of money that can be wasted on stuff, right? And yeah. you have to run a – it's a business, right? We have to spend – it costs oh, money sure. to throw a 600-person beer event, right? Yeah. Um, so I have to spend money, but, you know, you try to get sponsorships and raise money in other ways. And um, I, I really encourage people to know where their money goes when they donate to certain causes and that it's being used wise, wisely. Yeah. Um, at Project Bubble, we don't um, pay ourselves yet. Um, we're not at that point yet, but – um, every dollar that we're, I would, I, I'm proud to say that we're good stewards of people's 
very gracious donations and that we every dollar that we are doing goes to some sort of research or quality improvement project and it's benefiting yes people at children we love children's wisconsin we give to their um, cicu and projects happening there all the time um but we encourage other researchers to apply from other institutions because we want to see what else is going on out there yeah we want to expand and and be a part of the innovation that's taking place so uh what are bubaloo development kits oh sure so um when a baby is in, and I don't know if you've ever had a person in your life that had a child in the NICU or PICU. My daughter was. Oh, okay. She was uh, She was a twin. She was four pounds, four ounces. How long was she there? A week. Okay. What's crazy about it, uh, my cousin's wife happened to be the head nurse in the NICU. So one day I was just walking by to go visit my daughter. And What, were you in at Sinai? No, it was. It, oh. they were born at St. Mary's. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, and one day I was walking to visit my daughter in the NICU, and my cousin's wife, her name is Jane, she comes out of nowhere, and it's cool, even till today we have that, you know what I mean? You yeah, took care of my baby. Of course. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. I. So you know. you've been in that setting. Of course. And the kids like Theo and the kids that are there for months and months, they're not doing, you know, the things that you do with your newborn when you take them home. They're not doing head control and mm-hmm. sitting up and playing with toys because he had his chest cracked open and, yep. you know, is sedated. And all these things inhibit development and growth. And while we're worried about their breathing and their heart beating, um, all those things kind of fall by the wayside. So these kids start out behind. And then plus Theo is two months premature. Yeah. Right. So you have a lot of that as well. And so these kits are, um, they are projects out of the physical therapy and occupational therapy program at Children's Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we fund these kits um, and they are developmental toys that the families will have in their room and they can use because you just sit there, you know, like you just sit yeah. there and, and this kit is a way for you to be a part of your child's care and to also um, get their developmental process going hopefully yeah. a little bit quicker. So we provide the toys and the funding for the supplies for those kits. Bless you guys, man. Yeah. I, I, I just love it. You know, the, the more I, I did research on Project Bubaloo, you know, um, I've had my moments where I, you know what I mean, tear up. and Because yeah. hard as it is for a parent to go through that, hard as a parent like you who who lost their child and to create this organization that, you know, you could have dwindled in, in your, you know, sorrow. Right. And instead you decided, well, this happened to me. I'm going to I'm going to take this step forward and I don't want this to happen to any other parent, you know. That's the goal. Yeah. So it's 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 seeing that now you collaborate with children's and you just mentioned this with the CICU unit. Yeah, we do a lot in the cardiac ICU at Children's Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, I have a relationship, um, or I know a lot of the nurses mm-hmm. and the people that work there. Um, we actually, the um, we have a lot of nurses that um, have gone here, and the nurse practitioners that uh, work there have gone through our our pediatric acute care program here at Marquette and. Um, so I knew people for different reasons and plus it's small walkie, right? You just yeah. know people. And then I was very passionate about being involved still, um, 
when Theo died. I And they gave me an outlet to be able to do that. And so we're very passionate about um, seeing what they're doing and not just funding researchers in a lab, but yeah. actually giving to pro- like the, the bubble boxes, the developmental kits. Um, we funded a feeding project that took place there. Um, we do staff appreciation sort of things. Um, we just paid <clears throat> for a bedside education. Like, um, I don't want to say it's an AI thing, but it's, it's almost like a, um, a, how do I put this? I gotta, I gotta like find the um, sort of description of what it is, but it's a bedside education program for nurses, especially new nurses. You're mm-hmm. in a really, these kids are really sick and you want to have at your fingertips protocols and ways to do things. And yeah. so we've actually um, funded this sort of bedside education um, technology for them to use. So it's we a just helpful did that. structure. Yeah, to, to make sure yeah. that we're there, they have information at their fingertips. Mm-hmm. And while the kids, they have to do something, they're not shuffling around trying to find something. It's right there in front of them yeah. and, and, and makes um, the care that they're getting more efficient. So we do those things as well. So they kind of reach out to us and say, hey, we're really in need of this. And, you know, can you help out? And yeah. So we try to do as much of that as we can. So we're talking about CHD. Um, what type of. You know, I, I I really I want this to be educational for people. Um, what type of challenges do um, kids face with uh, CHD? I think it depends on the type that they have. Mm-hmm. There are some kids that. How many they, types are there? Oh, I I want to say there's like thirty eight. Like different really? like types of defects. And like Theo had a number of those defects. Wow. Or there's like variations. Mm-hmm. It's 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 definitely up there. Um, so like I said, sometimes it can be that like when I was talking about Ryan, like half of her heart not being developed. Theo had blood vessels that weren't correct, like in the right place. You can have um, the valves of the heart being stiff mm-hmm. or malformed. Um, and there's a spectrum of severity, right? Yeah. So you have some defects that are really severe, life-threatening immediately and then you have some where they can maybe they have a hole in between the bottom part of their heart and maybe it fills in on its own so there's a spectrum so i would say that um for the children though that have the critical cardiac defects it requires lifelong care they need to be seeing a specialist a cardiologist for the rest of their lives Mm -hmm. they might need medication they might not be able to physically be able to do what a normal kid can do. Like their tolerance for exercise might be different. Um, their life expectancy can be different. And so um, for some families, they are waiting for their child's heart to fail so that they get a transplant. And we know that heart transplant is not mm-hmm. a cure because that just seems like, oh, well, they have a messed up heart. Let's just put in a new one. Uh, no, there are kids that die waiting for hearts. And if you want to think about it like that, if your kid needs a heart, you are essentially waiting for another parent to say goodbye to their child to get that heart. I it's it's yeah. beyond. I I don't. This is I'm not taking away the severity, but this is I watch. I'm watching Grey's Anatomy with my <laughs> wife right now, which is totally real. And it, <laughs> there's so many good looking people at the hospital. <laughs> And there was a a situation like that where it's a show about a child who essentially at the ending of the episode said what you just said right now. My mom is waiting on, he's having this talk and he's like, my mom's waiting on another child to die 
so I can get the can transplant live. that I yeah, so I can live. So when you said that right now, I'm just like, click. It's real. It's real. Yep. And you know, it, it it breaks my heart because I have four kids, and my youngest is three. And you know, you, you Bubaloo was the nickname. My uh, nickname for my son is Arletto. Oh, his name is Arlo. Arlo that's cute. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Annalise is Anaclesius. Okay. Uh, Silander. Yeah, see. <laughs> and then uh, Mackenzalonian. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but th- like those that. are the nicknames. But you know, when you think of your children, you never want to think about you know what these no. children go through. Um, you have several. Um, programs that are set up um, with the Project Bubaloo. What is your nurse lectureship? The nurse fund? lectureship, actually, um, so in the beginning, it was the first thing we actually funded, now that I'm thinking about it. we yeah. It was right after Theo died, and we were asked to pay for a nurse researcher to come to Children's Wisconsin to give a lecture. And, you know, because... Travel isn't free, so we yep. we actually paid for them to come, and that all goes into uh, the advancement of care and making sure that every you know people know the new things that are going on at maybe larger institutions. Um, Children's Wisconsin's a pretty large institution, but um, it's good to learn from other people and to see what they're doing and um, how guidelines are changing. So we were that's the first thing that we actually paid for. Um, and COVID put a little bit of a strain on that, but, um, it's, again, we have such a relationship with children's and the foundation that when those things come up as things that we can, um, provide support for, we do. Yeah. And I'm a nurse, so I'm going to try to provide support as much as I can to my nursing peeps. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, what is the project bubble research fund? I'm, yeah, that's our yeah, that's our big one. The big that, one. That's the big one, and that's the one that we established. Our first year funding was last year. Yeah. So I think sometimes, you, especially like new families that come into this, they kind of um, look at what we've done and oh, you know, like this is like a pr- process, right? This is yeah. not, none of this happened overnight. So we weren't funding like large research studies when we first started. This is started out small, and now we've gotten to be what. To, to be where we're able to give someone $50,000, right? Um, yep. It takes a little while to get there. Um, and so our grant fund is the thing that we put the most of our fundraised dollars into. So like Hops for Hearts, when we raised $118,000, like that was really the majority went into yeah. that fund. And we use that on a yearly basis. We have people apply. The applications open in July. And we encourage people from all anywhere that's doing CHD research, not just doctors, nurses, physical therapists, nutrition, nutrition, whoever wants to, if they're doing something to advance the quality of care that these kids are getting, I want to hear about it. Yeah. And so um, our first year was a little bit small, but we funded re- two really great projects. One of them, um, the researcher just reached out to me. It was a project about um, aortic valve stenosis, which essentially is one of the valves in your heart is really stiff. Yeah. And when you're born with that, it can lead to heart failure. You know, you're the, the founder. Um, how about Team Bubaloo? Oh, yeah. I love Who Team Who is Team Bubaloo? 
I am, I always describe myself as like, if we're like a body, I'm like the <laughs> arms that are flailing around, like, I'm going to do this and this and this. Yeah. My sister is the backbone. My sister is the, she um, manages all the purse strings. So when people ask me to do things, I'm like, well, I got to ask Catherine's permission. <laughs> um, so she's the one that keeps us all um, organized and um, intact. And so why I get these wacky ideas, she's the one that keeps me grounded mm -hmm. and um, but is also always willing to like she's down for it. like she's yeah. she's ready to go and she's sacrificed a lot of her time and energy. She now is married with two of her own kids and she's still like we have hops mm -hmm. coming up and today she said I'm I'm at the coffee shop. I'm gonna put in requests for auction items and those things so, I mean she's just yeah. she's always with me. Um, which has been amazing. And for a while, like years, it was just her and I yeah. for years. And it wasn't until this past, I would say in 2022, um, I met my director of apparel, Sam. She owns WKP Apparel here in um, the Milwaukee area. And her business came from her son, Weston, passing away of congenital heart disease. And she reached out to me not soon after um, uh, Weston died and just said, I don't know She's looking at her hole next to her, right? Yeah. Thinking there's just, it's a very terrible place to be in. So we became friends really, really fast. Yeah. And then now she does like our home merch store and has been a big part of um, another bucket that we can make money from is is selling merch and yeah. putting our, our new logo and things like that out there. So that's been amazing. And then I have uh, my director of community engagement, Jenea. She's um, another heart mom and um, her son Jackson is doing well. Um, yeah. So we don't only have bereaved parents on our crew, but um, that's where that passion comes from. Yeah. You know, and it, it, so you got to find those people that have that fire to make a difference. So on our social media, we, we do a lot of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And so Jenea, um, when people reach out and they want to tell us their story, she meets with them kind of like this. Um, it's not a podcast, but we do um, interviews and then we're able to share pictures and that and that family story on our on our social media. So that's a piece of what we do is awareness and making sure that we're getting this message out there that this is a problem. This is a crisis that kids are dying left and right. It feels mm -hmm. like and why aren't we doing more? And such little amount of money goes towards this group. We all yeah. care about um, you know adult heart disease and again not to take away from that because I know that there's a lot of people with adult heart disease, but we need to put some resources into this yeah hops of heart mm -hmm. is your your main event yep. what other events do you have so yeah so in spring we do hops for hearts um that's in april and then in the fall our other big event is our 5k the ultimate heart race so that's going to be this year september 14th at american family field gotcha so that is it's kind of like the opposite, right? You have a beer drinking <laughs> event and then an exercise event, but it's a it's a run walk. But we it's a legit five k course. Yeah. So if there's any people that like want to do and get like a legitimate time for their running, we have a lot of those people that come, um, and we just try to make it a fun outdoor uh, event. And um, people make teams and they fundraise, and um, so this was our first year doing we re renamed it to be the ultimate heart race and what was really cool about um this event is that in the nonprofit world there is a lot of it's kind of cutthroat it can get a little it's, it's competitive right oh, well i'm yeah. sure the podcast world is the same <laughs> right the you, same. Got, you got people doing what you want to do and yeah. and and for us it's it's you have only so many donors and mm -hmm. you're fighting over money i mean and like people's attention yeah, so to speak. And so um, I hate that. 
I hate that because it's like we're all on the same team here. Yeah. We're all trying to do what we need to do. And so what's unique about the Ultimate Heart Race is that we allow, we host. It costs a lot of money to do a 5K around um, Amherst yeah. Field. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a chunk of money. I mean, it's not cheap. So you, I, so we're lucky enough that we are able to sponsor and put on this event. So I have said to other nonprofits in the area saying, hey, if you want to make a team and fundraise basically for free and create a team and do your thing, like we'll write your check. Yeah. We'll, we'll give back to what you are doing. So we're trying to bring people together. Um, Children's was there. Um, a lot of uh, groups that are really involved in this world. So um, next year, I'm really hoping that like gets even bigger. Yeah. And it takes a lot of energy to do events, a lot. So I'm, I'm just hoping for the families that they don't have the energy to start a nonprofit and do all these things. We're giving them an outlet to celebrate their kid. I'll never forget our first 5K we did the first year when we first started Project Bubble. Um, it was called uh, the Heart and Soul 5K. So that's what we had first done. And a family came up to me and the dad said, thank you for letting us celebrate Sophie. Um, our daughter just passed away. And I go, like, when? It was literally 10 days before. So the whole family came. They had shirts. And he was like, thank you for like letting us celebrate wow. her. And it was just like... I've been there. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> but it's like, it meant so much to me that they like, they felt like that was special. And yeah. so for me, I, I love the idea that we can create these moments for families, um, you know, and not be like, I'm not like intricate, like I'm not a part of this story in that way, but in, in a little bit of a way. Yeah. On a societal level, what do you think people can do to help um, the cause? In, in making change with CHD? I think that, um, I think awareness is a huge piece because what, we're human. Most of the time people don't, hopefully you're not sitting at home crying about every bad thing that happens in the world because there's a lot, <laughs> Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I think it starts with awareness and knowing that this is a disease that affects a lot of families and can be devastating and caring about it. And we need more people to care and be a part of this. And um, again, really being careful about who there are some heart organizations that might not contribute to congenital heart disease. They're contributing to heart, quote, heart disease, but Mm -hmm. it might not be this specific problem. Um, So just being aware of who you're involved with and then um, coming to events and really, I I don't want to say telling your story on social media. And I think... If you don't have the money to give or be a part of or volunteer, do those sorts of things, meaning like actively involved, just spreading awareness, I think is the biggest thing. And and thankfully, we have social media to do that. It's become a lot easier to do that. It's just a grind, man. Social media in general is like, how come we don't have more followers? We just told this really sad story. And, you know, we get new followers with every like story we tell and things that we do, you know, it's, but it's a slow grind to get people to like, yeah. Follow what you're doing. Oh, for sure. But then champion, and I'm sure yeah, you can relate uh, to that. Uh, I'm yeah. sure you can relate to that. I, it, we've had a great response, but, you know, in the beginning of doing this, it was, I mean, it still is. Yeah. You 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 get here and there every day, but. Um, 
But yeah. when we were um, filming before, and that yeah. person said, "Oh, Project Bubble," and she looked at my yeah, shirt. Yeah, she didn't exactly. know. She didn't know that I was the president. I did catch that. Yeah, for sure. She didn't know that. Yeah. She was like, "Oh, do you know Janae?" I'm like, "Yeah, my director of communication." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know her. Um, but like that is a win because yeah. that's it's it's outside of me now. Yep. It's outside of my story. So it's there. That's how it started. Mm-hmm. But now we've grown to like where like people are like knowing it for other reasons. I had a, well, yeah. I had a grad student that I was doing a lab here in the sim lab and she walked in with a Project Bubble shirt. I was like, oh, pro-, and I didn't have one on. I was like, oh, Project Bubble. She goes, yeah. I go, do you? She goes, yeah, I'm a CICU nurse um, at Children's. So uh, we support this group. And I go, yeah, that that's my nonprofit. Yeah. <laughs> and well, she had, she... I don't think she was trying to suck up. I really think she had no idea that that was my world. And so that's so cool. That's so cool. I I could even tell you, I mean, all the people that have brought up Project Bubbaloo to me, um, Justin Jackson, Allie Faith. uh, Yesterday I was on the phone with someone I didn't know you knew. Uh, but now I know <laughs> Cole Kluesner. Cole Kluesner, he's um, Kluesner, uh, yeah. an artist. Artist yeah. Adam Awaki. He's a Franklin boy, though. That's the saber like, <laughs> We'll be finding out his story soon. Yeah, but yeah. But he has his own connection to, to our world. So It's, it's definitely been, um, the more I learn about you guys, the more it's like, all right, we got to help. Yeah, we gotta, I hope. Well, come to Hotspur. I think you'll yeah. have fun. Do you like oh, beer? Sure. You should come to Hotspur. Well, I quit drinking two years ago. Oh, that's ago. right. You did tell me that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No worries. But we I, do have Intoxicated coming yeah. for they make specialty cocktails. Oh, yeah. You've been I there? went to Soberfest. They were oh, there. Great. and uh, They're a good group. But someone yeah. had brought that up to me saying, hey, I want to support what you're doing. But like, I don't drink anymore. It doesn't anymore. bother me. For some people it does. But yeah. I didn't even like, you know, and that's, but I'm so glad she said something because I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. And so then I reached out to Intoxicated and they were like, yeah, we're on board. And they they were an amazing addition to what we were doing because I don't want it to be exclusionary by any means. Or you uh, can come run the 5K in September. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So with CHD, as of of recent, has there been any uh, breakthroughs, any um, movements forward? Um, So I think right now we're in a place – I'm sure there's some people that would disagree with me. So I, I'm speaking only to the knowledge level that I have based on what I've been seeing. I think we're at a good place. Yeah. Surger, Surgery-wise, they have come up with enough techniques and um, where, again, they have surgeries for almost every defect, which yeah. before they didn't have that. Now, they're still – right now I think we're in a tweaking phase where, like, how do we make the – um, post-surgical treatment um, more successful. I think that you need specialty care. You need cardiac intensivists. You need a, a cardiac ICU, um, people that specialize in, in the care of this specific thing. It's not just a general sort of care that you get. And so right now I think that that's what we're seeing. We're also seeing um, more medications trying to be used. Uh, that haven't been tested in kids because it's really hard to do research mm-hmm. with children, especially with pharmaceuticals, but doing more with that. And then also stem cells. Um, so we mm-hmm. support a group out, um, it, they're called HeartWorks. Um, yeah. And the group, I, they have a core, uh, they collaborate with Mayo out in Rochester. Yeah. And they are the first group that they're doing a study right now. Each participant, it costs $100,000 to enroll one person. Wow. Because what they are able to do 
is to take a sample of someone. I'm grabbing my hand like people yeah. can see it, <clears throat> but they're gra- they they take a biopsy of a person's skin, mm-hmm. and they can grow their own heart muscle from the skin. That is DNA. amazing. Yeah. And yeah. so they're they're doing that. And then their hope is that they can use that heart muscle that beats to patch. To patch or to essentially inject it, if mm-hmm. you will, into a child's heart that is failing to strengthen to, to strengthen it. Oh man. What? <laughs> that is, that cool. is like sci-fi. That's that cool. is cool. That's cool. That's the future. I so we actually so we donated a percentage of our um, fundraise dollars for the 5K, mm-hmm. we gave them 10% because we're really, we feel very strongly about it. And yeah. it's research, right? It's it's So it's not from our research grant, mm-hmm. but they are doing very intense stem cell research. It's very expensive, but we have created, we, yeah. we support them. And well, going doing. along with their cause, if they make the breakthrough that needs to, this type of breakthrough. It could be a cure. It could be a cure and. Not need heart transplants. And I mean, the mission you've been on, it's it, it meets it. It yeah. meets it. So um, the doctor that is in charge, Tim Nelson, Dr. Nelson, he was trained here in Milwaukee and yeah. has just he was fascinated with mm-hmm. congenital heart disease. And he's made it like his life mission to find a cure and that, yeah. that their their mission is there's a cure in the works. Yeah. And they're really living that. They're the first group to ever um, have a study like this. Right. Very exciting. So I think stem cell research is is the future. Yeah. So where do you see Project Bubaloo in the next five? <laughs> I think about that a lot. I I so since Theo passed, um, just back to my personal life a little bit, yeah. I fell in love um with a a man that we went to high school together, but we didn't he was like, you know, I told you <laughs> I was really into like my social life, but like, you know, I didn't I was like a good girl, right? Yeah. And he was just kinda like up I always say, You were naughty, like you were just a naughty <laughs> Um, I, what I didn't know that it, he was like in AP classes and, you know, went to Minnesota and he had his, you know, he had his stuff together. Um, but we met kind of like through an online, yeah. it, but like kind of not because I knew who he was when I reached mm-hmm. out. I didn't do any other dating. He was, I, I thought, okay, this Franklin boy, I'm going to know if he's crazy. But, um, we, we connected, fell in love and we got engaged probably eight months after we met and we got married and did the house and now we have a little girl that will be three in um, March so life oh yeah Sloan Sloney baloney Sloney baloney <laughs> <laughs> and so life I but I thank Theo for that because again yeah. I got this like clean slate and and a new life that's happy but Nick allows me to celebrate Theo and he celebrates Theo and his parents celebrate Theo and they're like so passionate about being a part of that and it means so much to me so when I think about Project Bubaloo I also have to consider that I have a whole family that needs me and I have a family here at Marquette and I have students I have patients I still work as a nurse practitioner so I have three jobs and so I want to it's that balance you go back to like okay we raised $118,000 last year. We're going to do more and more and more. That'll, that'll drive me crazy. So while I want to have a plan, I like where we're at right now with our two big events. I do a lot of, like, this is amazing, where I can bring awareness and hopefully more people want to get involved. I do yeah. a lot of speaking like that in between our events to try to get more people coming our way. Um, I just want to keep doing that and do it well and know that we're we're doing a really good job and not try to do too much too quickly because um, I think – 
that will burn me out and then I'm going to lose this fire that I have. And so right now I think we're, we're good where we're at yeah. for another year or two. And I think once we get a little bit bigger with our events, we're going to max out at some point. So then we're going to start to have to get creative about how do we grow on social media more and like really, and we're, mm-hmm. we're working on that right now. Like, because that is a platform that we have a couple thousand followers. It's not like we're, we're nothing, but it, we need more people to see yeah. what we're doing that is outside of this community. Cause we've, we've, we've grown in Milwaukee. People know who we are and, and what we've been yeah. doing. Um, but we need more outside of that. Yep. So, okay. and that, so that, that's my goal. Okay. Well, it, like I said, uh, through the consistency and, and through your project, I've, I've, it's come across, come across me. Plenty. So, I mean, I will say I'm happy to hear and see the growth in the little time I've known. Yeah. You know, so. Um, you're well, you're going to be a way. part of that now because yes. hopefully people hear this and, you know, get passionate about what we're doing and um, I, see that we're making a difference. Yeah. Like you actually feel like we're 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 a part of the change now. And like that's yeah. very exciting. I have a couple ideas I'm going to throw your way after Love this it. interview. Um but yeah, definitely, I I am totally team Bubaloo. Oh, I love that. Um, we'll have to get you shirt now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'll wear it on one of the visuals. Yeah, I uh, love that. Now, you know, we're, we're, we're going to wrap it up, but um, you're so invested in this project, of course, Theo being the inspiration. What is a message you'd like to give families that are uh, dealing with a child or someone they love with CHD. Mm -hmm. You're not alone. And um, never forget that there's hope in everything Mm -hmm. that we do. Um, And kids are so resilient. But it's it's hard, and it's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. And um, you're going to learn so much about yourself along the way, but you are going to love that kid. I I love Sloane Baloney, but Theo was just, it's like he's just incredible. Mm -hmm. And I just, um, I think as a parent, you love your kids differently, but there's just something about that kid that will stick with me forever and Mm -hmm. ever. And I always want to give people hope, though, when I talk to them. And I have I talk to a lot of families. And so if there's a new diagnosis um, that's happened, it's a really hard, it's a grieving process in itself because now you realize that you don't have a healthy kid and that they're going to need help. And that's sad. And yeah. there's a grief to that. But I always encourage people to reach out, find that support system, um, and then find the team that you really trust. Because my, like I said, I, went, I go to bed at at night and I'm able to sleep knowing I did the right thing with Theo because Mm -hmm. I had a team around me that told me that I did everything that I could and I trusted them. And so I would say finding the right resources and finding the people that are going to be your people through those process and not letting um, anyone get in the way of that because people, um, you've learned a lot about people when you go through hard times. Oh, for sure. And there's some people that didn't make Team Cali through this process and that was okay. Yeah, that's okay. Um, but that, so. that's what that's that that's what happens. I yeah. mean, some people aren't meant to be there. Yeah. Um, so I would say making sure that you making that a priority to find the right resources, reaching out, and it's okay to reach out to. I'll take any message. I get messages all the time. 
Um, and we might not be able to help financially because we don't do direct family support. We've mm. made that decision because there are other, ins- I'll set you up with who does, right? Because I know, yeah. I know, you know, I got a guy for that sort of thing. <laughs> like, I, I know people that can help with that. Or I can give you advice about, um, you know, what doctors are going to fit you best or yeah. that to reassure you that you're doing the right thing. Um, I, there's a lot, it's not just me. There's a lot of people that have gone through this road thousands of families. Um, and I think finding your people will be the most important thing gotcha. and keeping, keeping that hope that we are making advancements. Kids do live. My, Theo's story is not the story that I want to share to promote that. That's like mm-hmm. that, that I want to share the story of like Ryan and these kids that are um, Jackson, Janae's son. I want to share those stories more because those are the kids that we're fighting for, right? Like we're honoring Weston and we're honoring Theo and all these people, these kids that mean so much to us, but we are fighting for those kids. Um, You know, uh, you've definitely touched my heart with uh, your story. Um, And now today learning really of what this organization is. I just, I, I salute you. I, I love it. Um, and just know Team Spearhead is all Team Bubble. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really so, great. We I really yeah. got to the... Oh, I, we got to the great. You told me I had to be open and transparent. Yeah. I hope I, no, you hope I lit, fulfilled my duty here. I, sure. I really, truly, thank you. Um, what are ways people can contact? Yeah, or? absolutely. There's multiple ways. We're on um, Facebook and Instagram. And um, we do have a TikTok. I did have a couple TikToks go viral. So I think we have like 30,000 followers on TikTok. But it is so hard to keep up. I have been really bad with me. So I have not been consistent on TikTok because it takes (laughs) so much. I think I've made like $50 in viewing. Yeah. (laughs) Which is very exciting. But anyway, so we have that. And then, um, but our uh, website, um, projectbubbly.org, there's a contact content page or I'm sorry contact page um there's also a volunteer tab so if you know you're interested in volunteering at events um Mm -hmm. you might have to fight off some of my Marquette students because they're always wanting to be the people there but um send us your info and we'll reach out to you when we have opportunities for that as well if that's a way that you want to get involved yeah that's awesome yeah well uh Callie I appreciate you I appreciate Bubaloo yeah uh this this has been an amazing, amazing conversation. Um, and I just, going forth, uh, consider me an ally. Consider my team an ally. Uh, and I love, you know what I mean? I, I can't wait to see where to, uh, Project Bubble Loop goes. Yeah. So, Thank uh, you so much. Yeah, man. Uh, with that being said, spearhead up.